Yes Guy, No Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, and all Beach Boys in attendance, time now for the summertime edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. Go ahead, sir. It's all you. It's Friday. I'm mailing it in. Go ahead. Yesterday, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit his second straight home run with the Buffalo Bisons. Yes Guy, No Guy, Vladdy Jr. homers in his third straight game for the Bisons. Oh, Yes Guy. Come on. Let's put a little fire. <laughs> let's put a little gas in the fire. Yes Guy. Absolutely. They'll drive everybody into a frenzy. And, and then they'll come up with that argument. Of, well, you have to protect them. And so my line would be, so when you lose the year, you wouldn't re-sign them anyway? Now, does this next home run get over the QEW and cross over to Toronto, or what? The next home run gets stopped at Customs. Oh, okay. That's a no guy, then. (laughs) Well, so this is for our guy, Andy McNamara. Oh, please. Do the new-look Cleveland Browns win four games or more this season? No guy. Yes. The Browns suck and always will. It's just part of the (laughs) NFL fiber. Then, I got one for you. Will the Detroit Lions win more than seven games this season? They're totally irrelevant, guy. It doesn't really matter. I mean, last year, they couldn't take advantage of Green Bay without the quarterback. I mean, that's just disgusting, isn't it? I can't... This, it, is, this team, I, it, I'll, I'll start watching Lions games after they make the playoffs. I, I do watch the Thanksgiving Day game and the first game of the year, and, and that's it. Um, they would have to get in past the first round of the playoffs for me to even buy into this story. Do you have an idea why Stafford has become a better quarterback without Calvin Johnson? Uh, I have no idea, but I'm not too worried about the offense. That, that team has had a, uh, I want to say, a silky defense. Is that a nice term? Yes. A silky defense all my life. All of it. It's like, dude, can you buy some teeth for that defense? So I got, this one probably be a tough one, but will Tom Brady finally regress this season? Oh, yes, guy. Nobody beats Father Time. We've seen that so many Year after year, so many athletes just, they go and then all of a sudden, oh, sorry guy, you're too old. And I know that he's been on the injured list. He's been questionable since, I think, his second year in the NFL because Bill Belichick's playing mind tricks, but everybody knows. But he did sit out of the first game of the preseason with a back injury. Apparently he felt a little tightness. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely think his his time is getting close to the end, maybe another year or two, but... Maybe the the greatness is starting to fade. Now, William Nylander, will he score 30-plus goals this season? Oh, 30. Hmm. Oh, let's roll the dice. Yes, guy. Yes, guy. Yes, guy. Making this contract turn into a bargain. Bargain deal. (laughs) 4.5 million, 35-plus goal scorer. So, at TSN 1050 Radio, what type of contract are you hoping the Leafs sign Nylander to... Uh, we have, and then the, the percentages have not changed. 233 votes in, 21% bridge deal, 79% say long-term deal. At Steve Bernie says, I think five or six years at $6.5 million would be about right. And I don't think they'd get much of an argument there. Dylan Larkin got, um, uh, what did he get, five years at 6.1. And he is their best. He's their franchise player. But what that does for Detroit, it puts them scraping the lid of the cap. So they either have to go to long-term injury replacement, which I believe uh, Franson would qualify for that, if not Zetterberg, because we, nobody knows if Zetterberg's going to be healthy enough to play. But that's what they have to do, and that's a struggling team. The Leafs have, uh, what, about 15, 15 million bucks to play with? Yeah, I believe $16.33 million, uh, since they traded away Matt Martin. 
So, so they've got all kinds of room there, but that doesn't mean you give it away. No, that's and and to your point, they have a, a, the ability to be flexible and they have the ability to make a big splash, but they still haven't done anything to shore up that decor. So it's not as if you can go all out on one another forward, considering you've already done that and are committing $11 million a year to him. Well, you'd have to do short term, because next year, Levo with arbitration rights, Austin Matthews, uh, Mitch Marner, Kasperi Kapanen, and Andreas Janssen, all RFAs on the blue line, Connor Carrick. So they've got some people to sign next year. I'm interested to see what ends up happening with Patrick Marlowe in year three, because that $6.25 million cap it is a fake number in his third season because he's only due a million dollars in real money. Yeah, but it's the cap hit that matters. The real money doesn't. That's true, but it depends to see if... Obviously, Patrick Marlowe played great last season, and to your point, Father Time catches up with everybody. If Patrick Marlowe decides, okay, I can go the route of Datsuk, you can trade my number to whatever team wants to hit a salary floor, and I'm done. Oh, but that's different. I mean, Datsuk wasn't going to play. Marlowe still has plenty of tread on his tires. No, I agree, and that's why I find... the His cap structure has been so interesting that... It gives the Leafs flexibility even if, for example, you sign a William Nylander and Patrick Marlowe just maybe doesn't fit in for you anymore, and that's a player that could have value either way. Whether you have him or you don't, then you trade him. Well, I, you know, when you look at the, the salary chart, the uh, the deals that, that make this team work for me are Riley at 5, Kadri uh, at 4.5, and Hyman at 2.25. Um, they, they stretch out over a number of years. And those are sort of, in terms of the numbers, those are the glue that, that, that allow you to then circle around the core players, which will be JT, Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, and pay them what the market dictates you have to pay them. And then everybody else has to fit in. But Kadri and, and Hyman up front buy you some flex time uh, because these are good hockey players. And, you know, you'd like to re-sign them at some point, but you run the danger of just running out of cash. Uh, just because you still have to, you know, you've got young guys in that blue line that are going to mature, and uh, it's going to be tricky. But you, but you do, you have to, you, you end up with six guys that get the money, right? That's sort of how it works. That's what Chicago did. That's what most teams do. Usually the goalie, a defenseman or two, and then, you know, what you're left with up front. And then everybody else has to fit around it. And that could be older people that'll play for less and like to play in that situation, or people on the way up. These are like flex contracts that sort of fit around what you're trying to do. But in comparison to the f- three deals that you mentioned that the Maple Leafs made the right decision on, a little bit longer term, the correct amount of money, if not an underpay, when okay. you look at Nikita Zaitsev's contract, does yeah. that kind of worry you in the same vein as the William Neal? Like, you don't want to end up in this situation where a player was paid for a limited amount of success? Well, that's that's a situation. I mean, that goes back to what I said originally. All the decisions are based on the hockey analysis. So he's at 4.5 and will be at that figure until the end of the 23-24 season, Zaitsev. Now, you know, obviously it didn't go well for him last year, but the team would diagnose what the problem was and try to solve it. At 4.5, it would be difficult to move that, but not impossible. Kadri at 4.5 has four more years. I mean, that is... You know, based on the centers that this team has, to know that this guy would be around for four more years, that's that's astounding. You could argue the Maple Leafs are the deepest center core well, in the so, NHL. So, so one move. 
Bozak out, JT in. That's what that does. And so when you're dealing with you know how to how to fix a hockey team or or how to get to get to the next level, sometimes it's just one for one. One guy goes out, another guy comes in. A serious upgrade. All due respect to everybody who's involved in this, but. I mean, that's, it, it makes, when you make the right move, it makes everybody else better. So all of a sudden, uh, you have a better center, but you also have a better forward unit. Yeah, and I think the Maple Leafs, up until this point, have done a great, a great job controlling their salary, understanding where oh, their money is better, yeah. is they, better used. They got $16 million bucks to play with, and really only one player to sign, Yahtzee. Because you look, when you let go of JVR and... Tyler Bozak, that was $12 million combined in two players that, to your point in the playoffs, again, were not players that you were looking at that stood out, showed up, and were able to help dominate when the Maple Leafs well, won well, or lost. Look, you got eliminated in the first round, so it, it leaves a sour taste. There's a lot of deficiencies that have to be fixed there. Uh, in terms of upgrading what you have, and in terms of upgrading the, the players, uh, you know, having to f- figure out how to make them or give them a better scenario so that they don't run into that problem. And, and, and uh, you know, you can't underestimate the addition of JT, what that does. If you could replay that series with JT down the middle... That's a different series. Well, absolutely it is, because now you're not beat down the middle. Exactly. And you also have somebody that can go toe-to-toe with their best center as well. In well, it just it reverses it, right? Oh, yeah. now you have to watch us. I found it interesting... We were already watching you, but now you have to watch us. Yeah, I found it interesting as well that even when Bergeron wasn't on the ice, I can't remember who filled in for him in the top line, but I be- he it was just clockwork for them. Well, come on. He's he's a really great hockey player. No, absolutely. And even when he was injured, Boston came out and won a game without him. And that it was proof that their dec- their center unit, they played a similar game. They understood what their jobs were, and they did it to perfect execution. And what you were saying before about how you felt the Leafs center core kind of lacked... It just didn't match up. Exactly. And, and that matchup, it, it wasn't my... I don't have an exclusive there. I think if you... You talked to uh, many of our hockey insiders. They would have told you going into that series that one of the deficiencies for the Leafs would have been down the middle in that matchup. And in this case, you see the three Maple Leaf centers. And I would say, outside of Matthews, because he's the younger one out of the three and he's developing his defensive game, the three of them have a very similar similar mindset, similar game. They're offensively driven, they have hands, they're skilled, but they understand where to be on the ice and they understand how to be a positive player on all three parts of the ice. I would just look at it this way, and, and I, I go back to when Matt's Sundin was the Leafs center. Who was the number two center? Do you remember? Well, they've had a bunch. They had okay. Joe Newendike for okay. a little bit. Okay, so now you're on the opposing team. You're up against the Leafs in a seven-game series. Mats and, uh, yeah, let's just stop Mats. Which happened, right? Right. That was Bobby Holik's job when they played the okay, New Jersey sure. Devils. Shut and he did down. it to perfection. So what would have happened last year? Take Matthews out. And that's what they did. Okay, now take Matthews out. Oops, JT is there. Oops, look at that cadre line. A lot more difficult to defend. Yeah, the depth there is going to make them so strong, and that's why... All of Leafs Nation right now is kind of biding their time, like holding their breath that there's a move or a signing or something that can be done to help shore up the decor because the more you look at this team and without, you know, the Maple Leaf sunglasses and without thinking that, oh, you know, they're awesome because they're the you Leafs, have Maple this Leaf is a very sunglasses? good team. No, I don't. I think, no, I don't. O Dog has them. 
Well, they came in the uh, alumni jacket. They're yeah. inside. They're slid into the pocket. Okay, so, you know, their blue line right now, they're spending $18.7 bucks on their blue line, which is really, I'm not going to say cheap, but it's cost-efficient. Uh, they have a number of guys in the farm team uh, that could jump up and be five and six defensemen. Uh, my question to you is, based on the forward unit, which is superb, superb, goaltending is superb. We know that, right? Do you want to keep developing defensemen, or do you want to trade them off and get the number one guy that you lack? I like don't. How many? Uh, my point is, like, you keep developing defensemen. Why? You have uh, Travis Dermott could jump up into the top four in my books this year. I agree. We and, had Mike uh, Kelly on, who was explaining that, like, statistically, and as well as the eye test, watching him play. That you could argue giving some of Jake Gardner's minutes to a guy like Travis Dermott and balancing sure. out the defense. Sure, you could. And, and, you know, Jake Gardner's on an expiring contract. So is Ron Hainsey. So, you know, I, I don't say that you cut them back, but you have to be aware that there's a possibility either one or both won't be here in 12 months' time. And so, how do you do that? Well, you ease somebody up. And Travis Dermott is just a, a great defenseman. Um, he's Gardner like in terms of his skill set. Uh, so you could move him up, but you also have to reconstitute Zaitsev. Uh, and you've got all these kids in the farm team, and Lilligren's one of them, right, who will start to get a bit of a look this year at some point. Uh, so, you know, you have to have people coming up, but, but they've got so many numbers of, of young defensemen coming up that it just gets a little uh, crowded back there for me. And it doesn't really match where the forward unit is. The forward unit is, is a step ahead in terms of its skill level, in terms of what's there. Yeah, I agree. And you look at you look at the six players right now that they have signed that are their National Hockey League defensemen. I don't really like the pairings. I think that's my biggest issue with the Maple Leafs decor. I think they don't complement each other well, and because of that, it hurts them long term. Like we've seen Riley, he hasn't had good stretches with Nikita Zaitsev, so he's usually playing with a guy like Ron Hainsey. Well, and we saw on an eighty-two game schedule a guy like Ron Hainsey killing two minutes. Of penalty kills a night. They got their money's worth. There's no question about right. that. I, do you count on that every year? I don't think you should. No. But but they know that. Um, the Riley situation, you know, this is a defense that, that's developing. It doesn't have the top end that a lot of defenses do. Maybe you don't need that. But I, I think you need, I think the right side was exploited in the Boston series. So those are the two weaknesses, down the center and on the right side. So they plugged the center. And uh, the right side hasn't really altered that much. So... Uh, you're looking for maybe a younger version of Ron Hainsey somewhere or something. But, you know, the, the tricky thing about defensemen, when you when you get negative about somebody, understand who the partner is because that's a real specific fit. If you have the two guys that have great chemistry, and that's, that was uh, Riley and, and uh, Hainsey last year, if you can find, you know, top end a top-end version of that, you're in great shape. But it's always the two sort of go down together. Absolutely, and we saw a player that we had here for a while. Dion Phaneuf with Robin Regeer looked like a different player than Dion Phaneuf with Carl Gunnarsson oh, or sure. Keith I mean, Ollie, or and it was unfair. Uh, anytime somebody goes, you know, a little uh, harsh on the defenseman, I just say, well, who's the partner? Because that's fifty percent of the analysis. Agreed, and as well, I mean, and I think you could tell me if this is kind of a bad thought process because you probably saw this better than I did in the draft schmaff situation. The Maple Leafs have a core that's built, and I don't believe in the next five to seven years they're going to be able to draft a player high enough in the first round to really establish much presence in this organization when they have an opportunity to win. True. Is the focus now not to improve the roster 
and any means necessary with pieces that may be talented but may not be talented at the right time. The focus now is asset management because they have a good farm team. They're developing NHL players. They're not all going to fit on the Leafs. In fact, only a few will be contributors to the Leafs. So what do you do with those people that are NHL caliber? you got to move them out the door. You have to get something back, whether it's a future draft pick or maybe you package them three for one or something like that. But their numbers that they have on that farm team for defense are stunning. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that the Maple Leafs still have a lot of their draft picks and they have their picks for the next year and the year after, and they have these players that are available to develop and build, but they have nowhere to play because they are not at the right position at this time in their career. So, And that's the time, I think, and those are the players and assets that you should be ready to move to acquire a player. But I would assume the Maple Leafs are doing everything they can to improve the decor. They, you know, smarter people than us can figure this one out. But, uh, but I will say what's, what's intriguing about all this, just before we break for Mark Sacchino, is that the Raptors and Leafs are at the same sort of part in the, in the road in that they have great rosters, they have great support players, and they got great depth. So at this point, um, hard decisions await. And the, I guess the similarity between the two is when a Raptor player gets traded or when a Leaf player moves on, they're going to do well elsewhere. They are NBA and NHL caliber, so it's asset management 101 for both teams in this city. Coming up next, we'll talk about the PGA Championship with Mark Sacchino, PGA Tour Radio and Golf Talk Canada. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. PGA Championship Round 2, yikes. Gary Woodland, 4-under through 12, 10-under for the tournament. Kevin Kistner, 6-under through 12, 9-under for the tournament. Brooks Kepka 6-under through 13, 7-under for the tournament. Tiger goes off at 148. Let's bring in Mark Sacchino from PGA Tour Radio, Golf Talk Canada. At Z-Man, TSNGTC is the Twitter account, and he'll be joining us shortly to go over what the heck is going on here. They are eating up this course uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and it's, uh, what, 78 degrees there, which is, uh, do, me, do me some Celsius math. What is that here? Is that like 26? Is 26.78? Something like that. You get the idea. It's sort of comparable to what we have here, which is a gorgeous day. Mark is with us now. Marco, how are you? I'm good, James. How are you? Good. I just, you know, somebody sent me this uh, this note here, this text about your waking up yesterday morning and plowing 20 bucks into Adam Scott. What the heck is that? Ah. <laughs> you know, it's so weird because um, there's no reason to think that, you know, Adam Scott was going to contend this week, really. You know, he's shown some signs of life in the last few months since he went back to the long putter and he had a decent open championship, but nothing that would suggest that he was going to contend to win the championship. And on Wednesday afternoon, I was just poking around. I had an Adam Scott hunch just because I kind of felt like, hey, you know, it's it's his kind of golf course. It's going to be soft. The greens are going to be mushy. They're not going to be crispy. Let me go see what he's paying. And I checked out the odds, and I went, that's worth 20 bucks. And here he is now, 500 par for the championship. I threw $20 on him that pays over 2000 bucks. So uh, someone, someone, Jim, is pulling for Adam Scott this weekend. <laughs> I, you know, I, I watched yesterday, and I, I hadn't seen him play for a while, so the long, long-handled long putter is not the anchored uh, putter thing that got banned, but it just looks ridiculous. It, it looks ridiculous and uncomfortable, but he is such a better player when he's using it compared to a conventional putter. It just... 
gives him a little swagger in his step. It frees up his golf swing. You know what it's like when we play this game. It doesn't matter if you're one of the best players in the world or you're a weekend warrior. If you see a few putts go in and you think you can make the odd putt, it just makes the game way more fun. And I think that's what Adams re uh, kind of reignited his game and just kind of went, wow, this this is fun again. I can hit good shots and get rewarded for them instead of feeling like he has to hit it to two feet every time because he's got no chance to make a putt. So it's going to be interesting to see how long he can keep this going for because, you know, he's four off the lead right now. He still has several holes left today, so maybe he can get it to six or seven under. But it's going to be interesting to see if he can ride this through the weekend because it's been a long time since he's been in this position. I know, but and I know we've had this conversation a million times, but, you know, he is on the PGA Tour. These are the best golfers in the world, and he has the extend a handle on his putter. Looks stupid. Yeah, but you know what? If he wins the PGA Championship and cashes $1.5 million, I'll do that and look like a moron. I've, you know what, Jim? I look like a moron on a weekly basis for free. So, <laughs> yeah, That's my line. So there he sits at 500 through 15, five shots. Uh, Gary Woodland, is there going to be some sort of a medical test in this guy? Well, I know. Uh, again, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how long Gary can keep this going for because Gary has played well early in, in big events in the past and has just not you know, handled the pressure and the spotlight well on the weekend. Uh, this is a bit of a home game for him. He grew up about two and a half hours down the road in a very, very, very small town. So this is the closest that he'll ever play a major uh, to his home. He's got about 30, 40 friends and family out this week that are watching him play. Um, from from a technical standpoint, you got to think that this is a Gary Woodland type of golf course. you got to hit it big. you got to use your driver. There's not much thinking around this golf course, Jim. It's fairly straightforward. There's not a lot of risk-reward. There's not a lot of strategy. Hit it big down the middle, and then you know take that aim uh, because the greens are mush. So, um, you know, it certainly would fit Gary Woodland's game, but again, uh, can he handle that spotlight on the weekend? Very different to be teeing off last or second last in, in, on a Saturday or Sunday at a major, and, and that's when we'll, you know, that's when we'll see what he's really all about. A move here by Francesco Molinari at three under through thirteen sits at five under. Does he have a shot at a second major? Completely. There's no, you know, it, it was shocking to me his start to this tournament. He just started off so rough, and you know, over his last 18 holes, the back nine yesterday, and now his start today, uh, he has just been tremendous. And there's no reason to think that he won't keep this going. He has just got it on all cylinders. Uh, the Azuri playing with just a level of calmness, Jim. That, and that's what he is. He has pointed to over these last six, seven, eight months a difference in his mental approach to the game that has just freed him up to play this game at a level that he hasn't in the past. He just feels so comfortable in his uh, in his own skin. And we're seeing it again here at the PGA Championship. Uh, not exactly the kind of player that we thought would do well here. We, you know, we were all pointing to Dustin Johnson's and Jason Day's and Rory McIlroy's, and I think Jason Day's going to have a great afternoon. He hasn't teed off yet, and Dustin Johnson's having a great day as well. But Molinari's just playing so well in all aspects of his game right now. There's no reason to think that he'll uh, not keep moving forward. Um, I like the the phrase mental approach, and so when we talk about Tiger Woods, and, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, 
over the last uh, several tournaments, there was an adjustment made by him. Um, yesterday was a good example. Started off uh, difficult and, and, and I guess, discarded a, a few ideas and, and, and just tweaked his game. But he's doing it himself. That would have been a, a, a swing coach in the past. But seems to me that he's, he's starting to figure himself out, which, which, which would sort of set up a great year next year. Do you agree? You know, and that's what I've been saying all along, Jim. I, I think that all of these building blocks and what we've seen this year, uh, assuming that he's going to remain healthy, which we all believe he's going to at this point, um, although backs are funny things, as you know, but it looks like he's going to be able to be healthy. I think it's pointing to a bigger 2019. And, and, you know, I'd like to see him add some building blocks. Everybody wants him to come and win his 15th major. Well, he hasn't won a PGA Tour event yet. And if his name wasn't Tiger Woods, and he was some rookie on tour or a guy, you know, that hasn't competed in five years or won a major in 10 years, would, would we not be saying, let's see him win a tour event, let's see him add some building blocks, get in contention a few more times? I think we're all pointing really to next April at Augusta. And he has, uh, you know, continually made adjustments, made improvements, learning what this version of Tiger Woods is going to be like. And the last improvement he needs to make and the last adjustment he needs to make, other than mentally being comfortable in his skin these days under pressure, is the driver. So from a technical standpoint, um, you know, that's the last piece of the puzzle, really. His short game's been great. His iron play has been brilliant. Uh, you know, he is uh, top of the food chain uh, in the top third or top quarter of the food chain in many categories on the PGA Tour. The problem is the driver. And yesterday we saw it on the front nine. He went in the wrong direction out of the gates, pounding driver and pounding it into the woods and into the bunkers and into the rough. And then around the ninth hole yesterday, he abandoned the driver, started hitting three woods, started hitting driving iron off the tee, made birdie at nine, made birdie at ten eventually shot two under on the back nine. And it's because he geared down off the tee and kept the ball in the fairway. So can he do that at this golf course over another three days of golf? Uh, you know, he hasn't played yet. He hasn't started this afternoon. Can't, you know, he's going to have to go out this afternoon and shoot 65. The lead's going to be around nine. It's going to be around 10. Uh, he's got to shoot 65 this afternoon. Can he do that with three woods and driving irons without you know leaning on his driver? Uh, I don't know. That's going to be the story for Tiger this afternoon. It's an intriguing view because here we have the greatest golfer of all time, uh, who basically did it on superior skill, confidence, and you know great coaching staff. Now trying to sort of manage his own game by himself, and you have the confidence that once he figures that out, he could have a interesting finish to his career. And I agree. I think it could be a great, uh, you know, couple of years starting next year. You know, it ain't going to go forever. He's going to be yeah. 43, in de- 43 in December, but there's no reason that he couldn't have a, a very strong 19, 20, 21, so to speak, in terms of a, a good finish and a good run. And, you know, you and I have had this conversation so many times about I thought he was overcoached, too many swing changes, too many uh, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. I love the fact that over the last year he's kind of cleared the camp and and really done it on his own and, and just learned to love the game again and hit shots and play golf. I think it's brilliant that he's doing it on his own. However, moving forward, say maybe starting next year, 
wouldn't it be great if you picked up the phone and called Butch and, and him and Butch got back together? And because and, and, if you're talking about the most successful, you know, coach uh, student relationship of the last 25 years, it's no doubt it's Tiger Woods and Butch Harmon. And, and from day one, I said, if him and Butch stayed together, we'd probably be counting over 20 majors right now. It's an interesting story because the guy now it's all it's detailed and you understand what was going on with with the guy and not the golfer. Uh, there's a lot of layers there that I guess collided. And when you read his book, you understand that if you departed his life, it was abrupt and sudden. And that would go to the coaching staff. That would go to uh, relationships. It's all sort of the same way. It's it's over, and and he moves on. Uh, but there's clarity in his life now in that he's dealt with the demons and and he is actually a you know should be a, a much smarter man for for surviving all that and you have to give him credit for digging deep and 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 dealing with those those problems you know when you're the central figure in the world and your your personal life is exposed and, and you collapse and you rebuild yourself you always come out of it stronger so maybe he will have developed the ability to go back and, and invite people from his past back into his life yeah, you would think that he has now kind of done the self-exploration and repair that you alluded to that would allow him to, you know, no longer lead with his ego like he used to yeah. and, and allow him to, to extend, uh, you know, all of branches and phone calls and things like that back to the past. And him and Butch now apparently are on good terms and everything's fine, although it's not a professional relationship. It's back on, on friendly terms, which it, it wasn't for many years. And there's more than just Butch. There's a lot of relationships, as, as you alluded to. Uh, and, and the one thing I find interesting in all, in all of it, and the one thing that I think at times you and I both doubted, we, you know, we doubted many times, is, is he just around and staying around to keep the Tiger brand alive so that you know, he can continue to cash in on what was Tiger Woods. And I think a lot of times you and I both lean that way. Yeah. And I think the one thing we've learned in the last year or so, man, considering everything he's been through physically, mentally, and emotionally, it would have been very easy at this point to just walk away. And I think we underestimated how much he loves being out there, being one of the guys, being out on tour, competing on the PGA Tour. I think we underestimated how much he actually loves that. And I think we're seeing it this year, maybe for the first time. Him just uh, you know, relishing in the spotlight to be out there once again and just having the opportunity to be out there and be relevant again, I think has meant the world to him. Mark, thanks for stopping by. Have a great weekend. Thanks, James. You as well. Thank you. That's Mark Sacchino, PGA Tour Radio, Golf Talk Canada. And, of course, Golf Talk Canada on TSN 1050 tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. You can watch the TV version as well. At Z-Man, TSN GTC is his Twitter account. This Golf Insider was brought to you by Subaru. Summer nights are made for Subaru with leaf rates from, lease rates. I got the Leafs in there. With lease rates from 0.5% at your local Ontario Subaru dealer. Subaru, confidence in motion. Up next, Dave Festcheck from the Toronto Star. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy with you till the top of the hour. Then it's the Scott MacArthur Show with Andy McNamara, Mr. Cleveland Browns at 1 o'clock. Can't wait for that. It's going to be an exciting drive back. Oh, my. Let's deal with the Leafs situation. What type of contract are you hoping the Leafs sign Nylander to? And it's at TSN 1050 Radio. Here's where we stand on this. 21% say bridge deal, 79% say long-term deal. 
And uh, maybe the comparable is Detroit signing Dylan Larkin five years, 30.5 million, 6.1 per season. Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star might have an opinion on that. Dave, welcome in. How are you, sir? Mr. Taddy, doing great. Thanks. Uh, are you okay? What do you want, a long-term deal or, or bridge deal for Nylander? Well, I think I mean I think it's pretty well established that that bridge deals can backfire on you in so many different ways. We've seen it we've seen it so many different times where teams uh, have done that and it, and they paid for it in in the long term. Um, so, if you believe in the talent of William Nylander, and I have to believe in Kyle Dubas, given the emphasis on skill that he's brought to his short tenure as uh, general manager of the Toronto Leafs, believes in William Nylander because you cannot deny William Nylander's skill. Uh, you want to lock this guy up for the long term. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I, I think he had every intention of doing that. So what is, I mean, what's long term? Is it max or is it comparable to the Dylan Larkin deal at five years? Well, obviously, if you're a team, you want to, yeah, you want the, you want the long term to be reasonable. And, and you know, you, you prefer five to eight. And I'm sure that's where the negotiation lies. Right? I'm sure it's all about, it's all about the, the give and take between term and, and annual average value and, and on down the line. So if I'm the team, I, yeah, five sounds good to me because we've, we've seen so many, so many instances where guys, guys peak earlier than we think they do in this league, right? They all, so often, you know, the age 22, age 23, age 24 seasons turn out to be better than the age 25, 26, 27 seasons. And, and there are obviously exceptions to that and it's not a hard and fast rule, but we've certainly seen that happen. So, you know, you got to believe that, uh, you know, five sounds better for the team, eight sounds better for the player, and, that, and that's, I'm sure that's what they're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the five. For me, eight is just, um, it's it boxes you in, it boxes the player in, it's a, a contract of a lifetime, and uh, it's very difficult to live up to that. At five years, at least, you know, there's, I mean, there, there's an end to it, and, and, and if you've achieved, you could actually get more money. At eight, it's like, um, I don't know where you go after that. It, it's sort of closed end. It, it just it just runs into a brick wall for me. How about you? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, look, I mean, I mean, there's so many GMs that, that would look at an eight-year deal and say, well, I won't have to worry about that because I'm not going to be around. Yeah. So I think that's why that's you can get handed out so often in this league, but but yeah, I mean, five years makes more sense to me. I mean, you can make the case. I mean, I've seen statistical analysis of the league that, that make the case that you're better off doing that because, well, hey, you know, five year deal. William Nylander will finish that deal around age 27, and, and you can argue, look, I mean, they just signed a guy, Johnny Tavares, who's age 28, who you know, for, for a mega deal. But you know, those guys are few and far between, and Johnny Tavares is a sentiment, a guy who's never really relied on his explosiveness. William Nylander, if you look at what he's doing in this league right now, he's relying on, on explosive speed um, and, and great skill. So will the explosive speed be there late in, you know, late into his 20s, into his 30s? Well, you don't want to have to bet on that necessarily. You've got to see it with your own eyes. And so, I, I you know, obviously, if I'm Kyle Dubas, I feel better about uh, a lesser term. But maybe you have to sacrifice a little bit in the, in, the, in the annual average. And if you do, I mean, you know, they seem pretty confident and they've got – you know, Brandon Pruden on staff to, to to make sure that they can handle all these contracts moving forward, and and the fact that they've got a number of the guys on bargain deals uh, from Kadri to, to Morgan Riley on down uh, suggests they'll be able to do it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there at all. I, th- I think they they're, they're set up nicely here. What do you think the dollar figure is for Nylander? 
Well, look, I mean, there's been plenty of analysis on that. I mean, when you look at him, I mean, you know, two sixty-one point seasons in a row that puts him that puts him fairly squarely into that six million dollar range, right? Yeah. You know, if you look at look at the guys who who put up comparable production uh, at this point in their careers, uh, you know, he's right in there. So, I mean, it, it seems fairly straightforward in a lot of ways. But if you do this, I mean, every Half a million, every every hundred thousand, I guess, it technically matters, right? And I think what he's going to try and do here, when he's looking at the triumvirate of signing Nylander, Van Marner, and Matthews, um, he's going to have to try and sell them on the specialness of being in Toronto, right? And in yeah. other words, can you, you know, we want to chisel these deals down so that we have those extra millions on our books going forward. Um, and if you can get everybody to buy into the idea that being a Leaf is special, and Brennan Shannon has talked about that from the beginning here, you, you want players who think it means something to play in this town. Uh, well, if you think it means something, we put a value on that something. And, you know, the way Stevie Eisenman was very, has been very adamant about, you know, setting limits on his, on his deals and, and setting a limit on the Stamkos deal. Um, and, and then having Stamkos come back. I think, I think you've got to have a little bit of that hardcore, feeling in you as a GM, especially if you're the GM of a team this promising in a market this rabid, you gotta be able to convince guys, hey, you know, you may you may not take the absolute top dollar at this point in your career. You could definitely make more. But, you know, the idea is to be a Toronto Maple belief, to be a guy who is a part of a team that has a chance that you as you've been saying earlier in the show, Jimmy, they got a chance here not just to win one cup, they got a chance here to win multiple cups if they do it right. Yep. And things break their way. Uh, that's worth something too, and you got to put the onus on the player a little bit to say, you know, you know that you will be a rich man down the road here, and let's think about the team as much as we're thinking about our individual contracts. Yeah, and I guess we get into uh, when we do the Nylander deal mentally, all of us. You look at the the other two contracts that will happen next year. So let me ask you this: whatever Nylander signs for, doesn't Mitch Marner get exactly the same a year from now? Well, if you if you equate those two players. You can say that, but I, I don't. I don't equate those two players. I think Marner's put himself on a different level. I mean, personally, I mean, with, with the way he's been able to produce, you know, for a guy to lead the team in scoring last year, granted, with, with Austin Matthews missing twenty games, uh, but for him to lead the team in scoring in the regular season, to lead it in the playoffs, and to do it in a season where you know you could argue, if you're making the case for him, that he got the absolute shortest of shifts being, you know, relegated to the fourth line at one point in the season to be to play with uh, line mates that were they, they really weren't worthy of his skill set as finishers. Um, you know, the and the idea is that, hey, if he is indeed gonna play regularly with John Tavares, as Mike Babcock suggested he will, uh in in a in a pretty rare, you know, uh forthcoming moment for Mike Babcock uh, around the signing of Tavares, um what what could his point total be this season? Uh, That's right. You know, it, it, you know, 69 seems awfully low. The idea that he could, he could get into the 80 or even the 90 range playing if he played regularly with, with, with Tavares doesn't seem far-fetched to me given the incredible vision and, and you know, sort of next-level anticipation that, that Mitch Marner shows. So, uh, you know, I think I think Marner is a confounding case. I think that's the one that concerns me more if I'm Dubas because if you, if you don't sign him, before this season, you have to wait till after this season when he's had a full year playing with John Tavares. Man, I, you shudder at the idea of what you might have to pay him 
uh, after the numbers he might be able to put up. It's interesting because both those guys were, were uh, I guess, assigned to the fourth line for periods of time last year to, to uh, get round out their game. And Mitch Marner really became a better player after he graduated off that fourth line. So I agree with you. I mean, his uh, his ceiling is sort of fluctuating where I think we understand where Nylander goes. Uh, what do you think about the blue line? Because as I've said earlier, I really like the forward unit. And to me, it's a step or two in terms of development ahead of the blue line. And I don't want the blue line to sort of slow things down. What do they do back there? <laughs> this is the evergreen topic of sports <laughs> radio, right? Like, yeah. what, what do you do? What do you do with the Maple Leafs blue line? And I, I if there was an easy answer, um, you know, they would have figured it out by now. But you look at it, I mean, what you do with the Maple Leafs blue line in short, to me, Jim, is, is you hope. You hope Nikita Zaitsev bounces back off that horrendous season he had last year. And you hope that his $4.5 million cap hit doesn't become an albatross uh, that's, that's, way, that's way bigger than it should be for the level of play he's given you. And if he gives you what he gave you last year, you know, he, he's, he's, his contract is a burden. Um, but if he gives you what you think he might be able to give you um, in a season where he's maybe coming in a little fresher, uh, a little freer of injury, uh, you know, you, you got to believe he can live up to it. You got to hope that Jake Gardner. Uh, could either become, uh, a, you know, a trade piece, given his deal is is, is on the last year of his deal, or or that Jake Gardner, you know, slowly begins to figure out uh, what it means not to make egregious mistakes in the NHL. You know, you, you got to hope that Morgan Riley continues, who is still in a, in a growth period, in my, you know, in sure. my opinion, to say, given given he's uh, he's 24 years old. I mean, you got to hope that he continues to land in a guy who approximates a number one defenseman down the road. Um, all those things I think could happen. I mean, uh, you know, I think if you're, you can be pessimistic about this blue line, but I also think there's, there's reason for optimism because you do have some talent back there, but, and, and you got to hope that Travis Dermott continues to, to skyrocket because he's obviously your value guy back there on his, on his entry level deal. And, and he, as much as he's had moments, uh, he's looked, you know, exposed, uh, man, he's had moments where he's looked electric and, and, and being in control of the puck, like very few defensemen can be in control of the puck in this league. So, I mean, there, there are reasons, but hey, you're also you're open to anything. If you're transactionally as as as, as the general manager of this team, you're obviously open to anything that can improve your blue line. And, and I I think they've kind of come to the realization that they're probably not going to be able to ever land that number one guy because uh, the Drew Daddies of the world aren't coming. But uh, you got to just hope you can just keep adding twos and threes and, and fours and hopefully round into something that approximates approximates a, uh, a possible blue line. Yeah, I like the way you map that out because really, uh, from top to bottom, uh, if you're dealing with Morgan Riley or Zaitsev or or Travis Dermott or or the the next group of defensemen on the Marlies, if you if you wanted to push the trade button, you wouldn't know exactly what you were trading because it's not defined, and that's always a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually. I mean, it's. I mean, remember looking back in Leaf history about all the times they've they traded guys too early, and that the, the, the franchise history is littered with instances of that. So you got to avoid that, and 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 that's why I think that's why I think it's it's you know it's it's too early to get panicky about the about the blue line, I mean, especially since I think we kind of you know if you look at the way. Uh, Kyle Dubas is approaching things. You know, the, the league is is kind of heading toward. Or at least the least hope the league is heading toward, you know, uh, kind of a an almost positionless type of, of hockey, right? Where where your blue liners handle the puck as well as your forwards, ideally, yeah. where, where it's just skill in all five positions. And maybe the Leafs have kind of over 
maybe they've overdone that because they, they're going to be an awfully small team next year, you know, and they're going to be an awfully, you could say, a gritless team now that they've given up on the likes of Leo Komarov and the Roman Polak and the Matt Martins of the world. But, but you know, Dubas is, is all in on skill and speed and the ability to, 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 to make plays with the puck. Um, if that that's indeed the case, I think he has he has blue liners that, that that can do that in the system, right? I mean, they hope Timothy Zaletman, who they feel they stole in the draft a couple of years ago, t- turns into that type of player. And uh, you know, you can look at Dermott and and, and the skill involved with, with with Riley's game and and Gardner's game, and even Connor Carrick's game, who they obviously believe in and, and have given, given another chance in a Roman Polak less world on the right side. So. Man, there's, there's reason to believe they're right. They gotta hope that there's not a correction in the league where, where uh, you know, sort of that toughness and and uh, grit and physicality doesn't become back in vogue, and, and they don't get caught on the wrong side of skill. But as long as the rest keep blowing whistles on the stuff they're blowing the whistles on, I think I think Dubis is betting right. Dave, thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jim. Take it easy. Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star. At Festchuk is the Twitter account. And so there's a couple of phrases that sort of describe the Leafs' blue line. Developing story and asset management. Um, even Morgan Riley. If Morgan Riley, all due respect to who he's played with, if Morgan Riley had a top-end partner, do you think that would help his growth? Absolutely. I mean, there's just so much possibility on that blue line. It's a developing story. We'll see how it plays out, and uh, it's just going to be one fascinating training camp. And on Monday, it'll be a month to the start of training camp. That's how fast this goes. And uh, the two hours just flew by. Up next is the Scott MacArthur Show with Andy McNamara. Thank you.